0: Chapter Twenty Four of Order Number Eleven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Keenan. Order Number Eleven by Caroline Abbott Stanley. Chapter Twenty Four Trifles Light as Air. Reprisals came. That train was hardly out of the state before Mr. Westover, a union man, was called out by Quantrell's men and shot on his own threshold. Mr. Whalen had his staple burned. Dr. Lay's last horse was taken, a calamity for a doctor. And so it went. When Gordon came down the next night, he found a household filled with apprehension for his safety and their own. They ate supper with locked doors and drawn shades. It was late when he got over to Keswick. Virginia had been to the front door a dozen times, listening for hoofbeats. At last they came, and, catching up a shawl, she sped down the walk into the night. She was waiting for him at the gate. "'Gordon,' she whispered. It might not be he, and even if it were, there was no telling these days who would be skulking around. "'Virginia!' It was the first time he had seen her since that night under the honeysuckle. And on that meeting nobody shall intrude. As they started up the walk, the door opened, and a shaft of light fell upon them. Virginia drew Gordon hastily into the shadow. Then the light was obscured, and Miss Nanny stood in the doorway. By the time they got to the porch, they were all there to greet him, and he was taken into the family room. If Gordon had had any haunting doubts about his reception they were cast to the winds now. He almost wished, as the evening flew by, that they were not so fond of him, for he had not a word with Virginia alone. There was so much to talk about, the Tigerman raid, and all the exciting times of the last eight months, that it almost seemed as if the evening was gone before it was begun. As he left Virginia at the steps, Gordon whispered, in a voice inaudible to the rest, Tomorrow we'll go down to the grapevine tree. "'I've got to see you.' Then he was gone. The next morning, as Gordon was taking a morning nap, he heard his father's voice calling him. He sprang up. There was a note of alarm in that voice. "'Gordon, did you fasten the stable door last night?' "'Yes, sir. Why?' "'Your horse is gone.' "'My horse,' echoed Gordon, in consternation. "'Gone?' He was throwing on his clothes and going down the steps as he spoke. "'It's gone.' When Wash went down this morning to take care of him, the door was open and the horse gone. It must have been taken, I think, though I thought it was just possible that you had not fastened the door and he might have got loose and started home. I am in hopes that is the way it was, said Gordon. Still, I'm sure I fastened the door. He might possibly have worked it loose. If it was a Kansas City horse, it would go straight home. It was a Kansas City horse. Damon was lame, and I had to get another one. It is rather lucky he was. By Jove, he said, shaking his head, as he took in the bearings of the case upon his safety. I'd hate to think he was stolen. Was the saddle gone? I don't know, returned the doctor. Wash has just come in. I didn't think to ask. They went down to the stable themselves. There were fresh tracks around the lot, and the saddle was gone. That made it certain. "'Well,' said Gordon, ruefully, as they told the tale at the house, "'I begin to wish I was safely out of this. "'And I don't just know how I'm going to get out.' "'Colonel Trevilian is going tomorrow to Kansas City,' said the doctor. "'Perhaps—' "'Why couldn't he go in the Rockaway?' cried Sally. "'And Virginia could go along for protection.' "'I wonder if the colonel would dare to take me,' Gordon said. "'Of course he would,' returned his father." And so the matter rested. It wouldn't be so bad after all, Gordon thought. At the breakfast table, Sally said, "Gordon, did they tell you how Uncle Reuben saved the Rockaway?" No, they told me about Mammy and the meat. Well, Uncle Reuben was about as smart as Mammy. He took off a wheel and hid it, and nobody knew where it was. And Old Tigerman couldn't take it off on three wheels, and so they have it still. Good for Uncle Reuben. I suppose if it hadn't been for him, Mrs. Taggerman and the Cubs would have been riding in it today. And the raid kept them busy during the meal. That morning Virginia had to go down to Mrs. Tob Taggart's on an errand. Mrs. Taggart was a weaver, and Mrs. Trevilian wanted a rag carpet woven. She had had it in mind for some time to have one woven for Mammy's house, but the raid had changed things. The dining-room carpet was presumably being put down in Kansas this morning, and the lady of the house and Mammy and Miss Nanny were busy dyeing and cutting and sewing rags to replace it. The affairs of the household must go on in spite of war, sometimes because of it. Virginia was in something of a hurry this morning, having in mind the meeting at the grapevine tree, and was rather reluctant to undertake the errand. She had herself an undutiful feeling that they had lost a good deal of time last night. Having finished her business conference with Mrs. Taggart, she started toward the blocks where she had left her horse. She looked round her curiously as she went down the steps, into the unfloored passageway between the two rooms that comprised the house. She had heard of that passageway from Miss Nanny. It was open in front, and in it was stored everything that did not have a definite place elsewhere. Saddles, riding skirts, bags of grain, and sacks of wool, the grindstone where it would be handy, and the big wheel just now not in use. From the joists hung strings of red peppers and dried okra, hanks of warp, and flapping garments waiting for their sacrifice. Great bags of carpet rags and balls proclaimed the nature of Mrs. Taggart's calling. Virginia smiled to herself recalling Miss Nanny's succinct account of the place the first time she ever saw it. "'Sister Betty,' she had exclaimed hysterically, and with cumulative emphasis, "'I tell you there is everything on the face of God's earth in that passage but the mare and colt.' Renee went out with her to the horse-blocks. It was no unusual thing to do, but the girl was so silent about it that it did not seem a simple act of politeness." She hardly seemed to notice what Virginia was saying about the chickens in the yard. She led the horse up to the blocks, and, as Virginia thanked her and was gathering up the reins, she stopped her with a gesture. "'There's something I want to say to you,' she said. "'Wait till Ma goes in.' She stooped to tuck at the girth. When she raised her head, Mrs. Taggart had gone into the house. "'What is it, Renee?' Virginia said, in a low tone. She was startled at the girl's manner. It's about Gordon Lay, she said. He's home, I see. Virginia started. She did not think that any living soul knew of Gordon's coming but his own family and hers. They had taken precautions to keep it even from the negroes. But Renee, with her hand on the pommel of the saddle, was looking straight into her face and asserting it as if she knew. What makes you think so? she asked. I don't think so," said Renée bluntly. I know so. I saw him." Where in the world did you see him? asked Virginia, thrown off her guard. Down at Old Man Chandler's last night, talking to Lois. It's about that I wanted to speak to you. About his talking to Lois Chandler? exclaimed Virginia, with a flash of anger. No, said Renée, about his being down there. Let me tell you something. This ain't no safe place for Gordon Lay. These woods are too full of bushwhackers. I think you must have been mistaken about its being Gordon, Virginia said incredulously. I ain't mistaken, Rene replied quietly. I know Gordon Lay when I see him, and I saw him last night. But Rene persisted Virginia. She felt sure she could trust the girl. He was at our house last night. You couldn't have seen him at the Chandler's. I tell you I did, said Rene impatiently. It seemed to her that Virginia was more concerned trying to prove that Gordon was not at the Chandler's than in finding out about his danger. I had been down past there hunting a cow. I saw him just as plain as I see you. It wasn't real dark. Gordon and Lois was standing out by the lilac bush, and he was talking to her, and she was crying. I don't know what she was crying about. Maybe her paw was sick. But you tell him what I say. There's danger for him down here. I know what I'm talking about." She glanced cautiously around her, and then came closer to Virginia, speaking in a low, tense tone. "'There's men around here would as soon kill Gordon Lay as to stick a hog. I've heard him talk.' Renee called Mrs. Taggart from the passageway. "'You'll take cold out there without any bonnet on.' "'Go on,' said Renée, releasing her hold of the pommel. "'And you tell him what I say.' she rode away, Virginia's soul was in a tumult. What was the danger that threatened Gordon? Who was it that was seeking his life? And then, her first thrill of fear over, came other questions no less agitating. Was this thing true? Had Gordon gone to Lois Chandler before he had come to her? And that, after all these months of separation? It couldn't be. She would not believe it. It was false. She gave her horse a cut with her whip, and then reined him in suddenly. She did not want to get home too quickly. She must give herself time to think. Renée must be mistaken. Of course she was. And all the time she felt in her inmost soul, the one that tells us things and will not take them back, and cannot be silenced by argument, that Renée was not mistaken. She might mistake some other man, but not Gordon. Gordon. Virginia remembered his lateness in coming last night. And this was the reason. First of all, he had gone to Lois Chandler. Anger was getting the better of her. Then she reined herself in as suddenly as she had reined her horse. How absurd for her to feel that way. Of course, if Gordon had gone, and she almost admitted now in her own mind that he had, he undoubtedly had some good reason for doing so. Probably, as Renee had suggested, Mr. Chandler might be sick, and Gordon had gone over with some message or something from his father. She felt the flimsiness of this explanation before it was formulated. Dr. Lay would never let Gordon take a risk like that. But maybe Dr. Lay was sick, too, and couldn't go with the medicine. And Gordon had insisted upon taking it, as of course he would, and then had waited till nearly dark so as to lessen the danger. Then Lois might have come out to the door with him so as not to disturb her father, and have been anxious and nervous, and it would have been the most natural thing in the world for her to have cried a little when Gordon sympathized with her, as of course he would. She drew a breath of relief at this, feeling that she had been sensible enough at last to see a perfectly natural, reasonable explanation of it all. But why hadn't he said something about it last night when she asked him why he was so late? She reined her horse into a walk then, and tried to recall exactly what Renée had said about it all. It hadn't seemed strange to Renée that he was down at the Chandler's. Perhaps she had seen him there before. What Renée had thought of was Gordon's danger. At that she quickened her horse's pace. She was beginning to think of this herself. Gordon might even now be down at the grapevine tree, and the woods full of bushwhackers she would think no more of this silly thing she said, with her lips set firmly together. Of all things in the world a jealous, suspicious woman was the worst. He had probably forgotten to say anything about it last night, and no wonder, with so many things to talk about and think of. Anyway, she knew it was all right, for Gordon was all right. Now. And her lips were firmer than before. When she got to the house, They told her that Gordon had been there and had gone down to the grapevine tree. Virginia could hardly deliver Mrs. Taggart's message in her haste to be gone. There was no telling what might happen to him down there in the woods. But when she reached the old trysting-place, and he came to meet her with outstretched arms and folded her to his heart, she forgot Rene's warning and all else in the joy of being with him again. They had been separated so long, and the months had been such weary ones. When she remembered her fears and told him of them, he drew her to him and kissed her and smiled down into her eyes, and said he would rather risk the bushwhackers than the family. He couldn't have a word with her there. They would make sure of this morning anyway. And listening to his tender words, she was beguiled out of her other fears, too, and felt ashamed as she recalled them. With her hand in his and looking up into the honest eyes that had never turned away from hers in all these years those fears seemed base and ignoble. As they sat there talking the hours away, lost to danger and the world, they heard a sudden crackling sound behind them as of a cautious step. Virginia sat upright, and Gordon grasped his revolver and leveled it in the direction of the sound. It was a moment of suspense, but following the step came another, and then a grunt, and a strolling pig stepped into view. The laugh that rang out startled him as much as he had startled them, and he stood not on the order of his going. But the incident, trivial as it was, brought to Virginia's mind a fresh remembrance of Rene's warning, and she would not stay longer. When they reached the house there was a fire in the parlor, and the sofa drawn up before it. "'Gordon,' Miss Nanny said regretfully, "'we will have to leave you to Virginia this morning.' Sister Betty and I are busy with our dying. You won't be disturbed. I have locked the front door and drawn down the blinds if anybody should be prying around. Virginia, you treat Gordon well. He is the only decent federal I know of. And with this parting shot she was gone. The memory of that day stayed long with Gordon Lay. He carried it with him to southern battlefields. He thought fondly of it as he sat beside the smoldering campfire. He dreamed of it in his lonely midnight hours. He lived it over in a bewildered way years afterward, recalling every word, every look, every motion of the woman he loved, and trying vainly to recall his own. At dinner it was Mammy that waited on the table. Mammy could be trusted with any secret, and it was well to be on the safe side. Colonel Trevilian had been going around the neighborhood that day looking after claims that were to be presented to the commanding officer at Kansas City tomorrow. Gordon was easily persuaded to stay to supper, that he might see him. Again and again through that day, Virginia thought of what Renee had told her. Again and again it was on her lips to ask him frankly what it meant. And each time she would think, I will not. It will seem as if I doubt him. I will not bring up anything, anything, to mar this day. Before he left, they had arranged for the trip in the morning. It was raining now, and the probabilities were that the day would be bad. But it would be all the better, Colonel Trevilian said, for their plans. They would be less likely to meet anybody on the road. And besides, that would be a good reason for putting the curtains down. "'I will have Reuben drive,' he said, "'and I will sit in front with him. Together we will make a pretty good screen. "'On the back seat, Gordon,' and with the curtains down you will be pretty well protected from view," Gordon thought with grateful heart of that long ride with Virginia beside him. It would take nearly all day. He had resisted the maddening desire to stay with her through the evening, remembering his mother. And so, buoyed up by the thought of the morrow, he said good-bye. When Virginia Trevilian knelt that night by her white bed and lifted up her virgin prayer, This was the burden of it. Oh God, keep him, keep him, keep him, and make me worthy of him. He is true, I know it. End of chapter 24. Recording by Brian Keenan.